Now, as part of the New South Wales effort, Anti-Slavery Commissioner James Cocaine will release a three-year plan to combat trafficking. His state has an estimated 16,000 people in forced labour. His plan involves removing the products of modern slavery from government supply chains. It will also highlight the personal stories of people around the world who've survived exploitation. One of the most prominent is Sophie Etienne from Kenya. She was taken from her family at just 13, put to work and denied the education promised by her uncle. She now runs the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery in Nairobi. She joined me before leaving for Australia. It's quite common, right? If you look at the recent Global Slavery Index that just came out, speaks about the numbers increasing as far as the people that we are seeing in modern slavery, and specifically women and girls. And my stories of being affected by this issue when I was quite young. So it's not an uncommon story. What are the social conditions that lead people to being trapped in modern slavery in East Africa in particular? The main issue is inequality. Whether you are talking about economic or you are talking about gender here, they come from significantly marginalised communities that don't have money, that don't have education, that don't have access to social protection, social issues that just make them make risky decisions. So, for example, if a girl comes from a very poor family, right, and they don't have access to education, it's very easy for someone to take advantage of that and recruit them or use them for labor or use them for sex. If you talk about the fact that this issue also affects mainly women and girls, it's important for us to talk about gender equality. Why are women and girls more vulnerable to this? Why are migrant communities more vulnerable to this issue? So the main reason is that traffickers and essentially the system targets the most marginalized in the community and basically uses them. But this issue affects and impacts all of us. We have a global economy that is really focused on labor and that labor has to come from somewhere, you know. And again, if you're talking about East Africa specifically, I have to talk about things like female genital mutilation, yeah. early marriage, forced marriage that basically make it happen. Well, let's talk about those because they're very, very significant problems. You mentioned their female genital mutilation, forced marriage. At what ages are young girls being co-opted into forced marriages? I think it's mainly as soon as girls become teenage girls between the ages of say 13 and, and 18. That's around the age that most people uh, enter this. And it's mainly because these are practices that have existed before, right? They're practices that, you know, are harmful and we know affect children and, and specifically girls. In your case, I think you were promised an education and your uncle promised you an education and that's ultimately how you did end up in forced labour uh, by being taken away and not getting that education. The education system in Nairobi where you were a child, was it simply not available? By the time this was happening to me, there wasn't free education, right? right now, There was not free education. 
there was no free education by the time this was happening to me. But right now there is free education and we've seen significantly it's way easier to identify cases as a result of free primary education. By the time this was happening to me, there was no free education. And it's the reason why it was quite easy for this to happen to me because my family was poor and I needed to have an education. The promise of education was important, especially when it was coming from someone that we trusted. What about the plight of migrants who have been finding refuge? Certainly in Kenya and Tanzania, we know that those countries have been open to migrants and people fleeing violence. But how vulnerable are they to exploitation and modern slavery? Modern slavery affects people who are vulnerable. Migrants are vulnerable because they are making risky decisions, because they are fleeing very specific conditions in their country. So when you think about, for example, migrant workers who come from Kenya, Tanzania, high unemployment rates, the inability to be able to take care of your family will make you ignore certain risks when you're migrating from one place to another for work. And that's what we see for most migrant workers. They make risky decisions, end up in situations where they have no documentation and therefore cannot be able to access help when they're being abused or when something is happening in their place of work. So long as the social conditions in source countries are pushing people to move, it's really going to be hard to prevent people from being abused because people are just trying to survive. So someone is moving away maybe as a result of conflict. So they are running away from a very specific situation and then someone takes advantage of that because they know very well that these are people that the system generally doesn't protect because if you don't have documentation, how are you even supposed to know that you're missing? There's one area that will, I think, surprise a lot of people because they will not see it as a form of modern slavery or forced labour. But why are you so concerned about this uh, huge growth of orphanages, especially in Africa? You think there's a problem here. Why is that? Again, I go back to orphanages exist to take care of a very specific problem, which is children who don't have families. And the problem right now is that in some cases, orphanages have existed where poor children who are not orphans are recruited into orphanages and then used for forced labor. In some cases, we've seen them not just being used for forced labor, but also for sex. So I think it's important to understand that so long as we have vulnerable children, criminals are going to use all forms of system to abuse people. There's been a high influx of orphanages in the past. Is it as a result of parents dying? Not necessarily. And then when you think about the culture that we come from, like personally, I come from a culture where if a family member dies, the whole community takes care of that child. When we introduce things like orphanages, sometimes apart from even just what they do right now in terms of abusing children in some cases, 
we are destroying like certain social structures that existed that were sustainable and were healthy and the ability to take care of those children. There's been a lot of research on the impact of children staying in institutions versus children staying in communities with families. It's just something we need to rethink. In Kenya, we've had several cases where pedophiles have ended up running orphanages. But Sophie, as I understand it, even where there isn't a case of obvious exploitation or sexual abuse or something dreadful like that, isn't there a problem that orphanages rely on having what appears to be vulnerable children to attract donors? And I've read stories of where kids who've ended up, even though they have families, they've ended up in orphanages, and instead of going to school, they're made to perform and dance and basically be there to somehow impress or gain the sympathy of Western visitors? Yes, this is something that is common. We go back to the fact that the system we've set up where essentially people need to see poor people parade themselves to be able to get money. So most, as you are right in saying, some of the children, I said some of the children in orphanages are not orphans. Some of the children who are there are children with families, are children that have communities that can take care of them. But the reality is that if a child, for example, will go to an orphanage and money will come and that orphanage can be able to benefit and maybe give a little money to the family. In most cases, the family will opt to do that. So yes, I know several survivor leaders who ended up in orphanages, who ended up not going to school because they were either busy and, as you're saying, busy entertaining donors or busy sometimes working in farms or things that the orphanages owned. So it is a whole system that people are taking advantage of. What action, Sophie, is required of uh, national governments but also of the international community to stem this growth? Because it has been a terrible growth, now 50 million people around the world in forced labour. What action is required? And we need better social protection systems. For me, people are important. We cannot continue working the way we are so long as we continue taking away money and investment from our social protection systems that protect vulnerable children, that protect women and girls, that protect migrant communities. We leave them vulnerable, right? So things like free education are quite helpful because it means that if it is possible to detect when a child is not in school, it's possible for us to detect that, you know, they're being abused. But right now, if we don't have free education, if you see children, you have a, you have no reason to act during school hours. So free healthcare is something. Healthcare is, is another thing that is important. Many of the migrant workers that I've worked with, the main reason why they ended up in risky situations is because a family member fell sick, and all of a sudden they had a huge burden, a huge debt that they could not take care of. We definitely need governments to really focus on implementations of laws that already exist that can be able to hold either companies, anybody that is abusing people. And those laws need to be implemented. Just finally, Sophie, what's the responsibility of of private citizens, of consumers, to stamp out forced labour and modern slavery? 
I think we talk about the fact that, you know, we are fighting a whole system, but at the end of the day, that system is made up of people. I think for citizens, it's questioning, right? It's questioning how we are consuming, right? Questioning the companies we are buying for, questioning the people we see in our neighborhoods, questioning our politicians when certain policies are passed that we know are going to endanger certain groups of people. Because at the end of the day, so long as there is someone vulnerable in your community, they're at risk of being trafficked. So for private citizens, there's a lot of questioning. Everything right now, the world as we know it right now, is dependent on labor, it's dependent on productivity. And it's private citizens get to ask, what are we producing and what are we consuming, at least at a basic level. Sophie Etienne of the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery. She's in Australia to launch a New South Wales government plan. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.